and welcome to the short stuff. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. Dave's here in spirit. Jerry's here in spirit. Um, who else is here in spirit? We can't say because we can't see spirits because we're among the living. This is short stuff. Let's go. This is the story of Madam C.J. Walker, who Guinness Book of World's Record says is the first self-made female millionaire in the world. Yeah, not uh, African-American female or woman millionaire. Um, straight up first woman in America to be a, a millionaire it's, uh, through, through her own work and hard, hard labor. That's right. Uh, she has a very <laughs> That's cool. The more st- succinct way of putting. <laughs> she has a very cool story. Uh, she was a daughter of sharecroppers, and uh, ended up building this huge brand, uh, which employed and empowered many hundreds of women. Um, Octavia Spencer, I think, played her in Self Made. It was a miniseries on Netflix recently. Mm-hmm. And she was born Sarah Breedlove on a cotton plantation in 1867. One of five kids. It's a great name too. I love that name. Breedlove? Sarah Breedlove in particular. Yeah, yeah. has a nice ring, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're wondering why she's C.J. Walker, we'll get to that. But yeah, at this point. Uh, in Louisiana, she was, you know, she struggled in life. Uh, she was an orphan by the age of seven mm-hmm. and then went to live with her older sister, uh, Luvinia, another very nice name. And they settled in Mississippi, in Vicksburg, Mississippi, where she uh, did domestic work and worked in the cotton fields. Yeah, and I mean, like, she was born so close to slavery that she was the first child in her family um, who was born free. Like, that's how right. that's how recent slavery um, was, was a thing. So her lot in life wasn't particularly much better because it was just so close to the slave era. Um, and when she was 14, as a matter of fact, she got married to a man named Moses McWilliams, um, at least in part to escape her home life, basically. Yeah, her brother-in-law apparently was not a very nice guy and mistreated her. Uh, so she got out of there with Moses and had a, a daughter named, uh, I guess, Lelia or Lelia. Very pretty name. L E L I A. I think she later changed her name to uh, put an A on the front of it and was Alilia. And her husband sadly died in 1887. So she moved to St. Louis where her brothers lived. They were barbers there and started earning money doing laundry, making about a buck fifty a day. So you're like, okay. Where where are we going to get to the fact that she's a self-made person? Like we're, she's, you know, starting to get up there in years. She's all, she's like in her 20s now. She's making $1.50 a day, which is enough to put her kid through school. Mm-hmm. But I, I looked, and as far as the West Egg Inflation Calculator says, that's still only $43 a day in today's money. And I feel like we're missing something, Chuck. I think that that's not a full picture of of you know what money was worth i think things were just cheaper i think life was just less expensive at, at other times in american and probably world history than it is today i think you're right you want to take a break regroup and then talk about the real beginning of madam cj walker sure okay
All right, Chuck. So we said that Madam C.J. Walker was the first self-made woman millionaire in the United States. She's an African-American woman who was born almost into slavery uh, in the South. Um, But she became self-made because she ran into a problem in the 1890s. Her hair started falling out. And I could not find what the cause of her hair loss um, was. I saw a scalp condition almost everywhere that made me suspect that somebody said scalp condition and everybody else found that same source. But I couldn't find an actual, like, um, you know, diagnosed medical condition. But she started losing her hair, and she found out in pretty quick uh, order that there was not a lot of help out there for her to, to stop her hair loss or possibly regrow hair, so she tried to figure it out herself. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason her hair was falling out was because there were not products designed specifically for women's hair or hair of anyone with that from African descent. So mm-hmm. it was a market catered to uh, Caucasian styled hair. Mm-hmm. And so their their hair would suffer as a result. So she uh, there were a few products out there. She went to uh, one line um, Poro hair, P-O-R-O, mm-hmm. uh, which was created by Annie Turnbow Malone, another black entrepreneur. And it helped some. But And she even sold this stuff for about a year and a half. But the whole time she was like, I need to come up with my own formula here to help myself and to help others. Yeah. So um, about a decade or so later, she uh, got married a second time to a man named Charles Joseph Walker, um, hence the C.J. Walker. And he was uh, in sales. He was a, a kind of a marketing whiz. And the two of them together became what you would probably refer to as an early power couple, basically. They really complemented and rounded out one another's um, strengths. And they they formed basically this, this hair care empire, the very beginning of this hair care empire. Um, and uh, Sarah adopted the name Madam C.J. Walker, and that's where that, the whole thing began. Yeah, and it was called Madam C.J. Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower. Awesome. Right, I mean, talk about marketing with. Let's just call it what it is and what it does right out of the gate. It makes me want to throw my money at her. Say, take my money. (laughs) So she founded this company in 1906, and there was no national distribution chain. So they hit the road. They traveled all around the South for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. As Mark Cuban would say, just hustling, selling door to door, doing it the hard way, doing demos and demos in front of people so they knew what it did. Uh, a lot of times they would go to churches to do this. And she had these before and after photos. Again, great marketing. And these and these women started buying it up. It was 50 cents a 10. And they said, uh, we love this stuff. We love that there's a product for us. Um, and she used to say, there would be no hair growing industry if I hadn't invented it. Right. The thing is, though, is like she wasn't selling. She wasn't a huckster. She actually had... Um, a, a, a recipe that was lost in its exactness to time. But this stuff actually did apparently regrow hair or at yeah. least halt hair loss. So I'm not sure where they found it, but they, they somebody documented that the ingredients included um, coconut oil, beeswax, petrolatum, which I guess is like um, petroleum jelly today. Mm-hmm copper sulfate, and precipitated sulfur, and it had a nice violet scent, which I like. I don't think it's used quite as, as often as it should be. Um, but the, the key ingredient, the active ingredient in this thing was sulfur, that that was probably what was, 
working and causing women to say, this stuff actually works. I want some more. Yeah, and she had a whole system. She had a, a vegetable-based shampoo. Um, she had something called glossine, which smoothed out hair uh, that was pressed with a hot comb. And so she had a little, you know, a hair care beauty line basically going in the early 1900s to the tune of about $150,000 a year in today dollars by 1908, which is some pretty good money. Yeah, and we should say there's one thing that I think this um, this How Stuff Works article just kind of walks right past, and that is that when you used her walker system, you were you were an, an African-American or black woman who was making your hair akin to a white woman's hairdo. And there was a period in time in, in black history, especially in like the 1960s and 70s, where Madam Walker was not particularly thought of that highly because she had made a, an empire built on um, emulating Caucasian beauty. And it wasn't until, you know, years later that um, she finally was seen for, for what, what she was, which was a downright radical feminist and civil rights activist who, who couldn't read or write from what I saw her entire life and yet um, made a, a, a really amazing living for herself, but also empowered other black women to be more than just, you know, domestic help or laborers, you know? Yeah, it's a great story. Um, she divorced Walker in 1912, moved to Indianapolis, and then in the position she was in with that kind of money and that kind of sort of growing fame, started kind of uh, buddying up with some of the more well-heeled activists in the country, like Mary McLeod Batoon and Booker T. Washington, mm -hmm. um, moved to Harlem, which was where you wanted to be if you wanted to be at the center of black culture in the early 1900s. And she and her uh, daughter opened up a salon. It was a very nice salon. Yeah. Uh, parquet floors and velvet seats and grand piano in the lobby. It was a really, really kind of a fine place. Yeah. Apparently in um, the teens, the 19 teens, she had something like 20,000 to 40,000 women, be beauty culturists working for her. Tens of thousands of women. That's um, amazing. And she held a, a convention, um, the first convention of her beauty culturists, her agents um, running around selling her stuff, um, in Philadelphia, I believe. And one of the things that she was noted for was when she gave speeches, it was a, a lot more or about a lot more than just, you know, pumping them up to go sell her product. It was about them demanding you know, better treatment, to be mm -hmm. treated like like human beings, um, to demand a better, more socially just world. Like her speeches were peppered with that that kind of empowerment, telling women, black women no, no less, at, at you know, in the early 20th century that that they should expect to be treated better than they were by by men of all races and, and by the white race in particular, which is, again, it's just radical. There's no other way to put it at the time. Uh, in 1918, she moved to Villa Loaro, a, uh, a mansion in Irvington on the Hudson, about 45 minutes north of Manhattan. And this place was a, a legit mansion, like 34 rooms. <laughs> it was huge and an amazing place. It was designed by an African-American architect named uh, Vertner Woodson Tandy. Great name. What's sad is, um, you know, she was able to enjoy her wealth for a while, but she died the, the next year after she moved into this uh, incredible 20,000-square-foot mansion with her daughter. Um, but she left a really great legacy. Apparently, she left two-thirds of her estate 
to um, historically black universities, um, to uh, the NAACP. Um, like she, she really put her money where her mouth was. She was a, a really uh, benevolent benefactor to a lot of great civil rights causes and um, basically laid the foundation for black women entrepreneurs um, still to this day, as a matter of fact. Great story. Wonderful story. So hats off to Madam C.J. Walker, a.k.a. Sarah Breedlove, a.k.a. a genuinely admirable person. Uh, And that means, everybody, that short stuff is out. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.